Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Pushkin. Hearing the Fuji's second album, The Score, is the first time I remember not just liking music, but loving it. Fuji La, Killing Me Softly, Ready or Not would come on the radio and I'd get goosebumps. I still get goosebumps hearing Lauren Hill sing that hook. There's something absolutely timeless about the music Wyclef created with Lauren and Praz as the Fuji's. Same as the Beatles, same as Stevie Wonder. That's how high I rate this music. So when Wyclef Jean pulled up to the studio where he recorded this interview, I was nervous. I mean, I was bugging. But lucky for me, Wyclef is one of the coolest people ever. I'll put it like this. Wyclef was supposed to bring his guitar to the interview. Somehow, the message never got to him. Instead of throwing a fit or bailing on the interview, he said, just find a guitar, I'll play it. I can play any guitar. Sure enough, we found the most janky guitar in a nearby office. It's one of those guitars you buy for a kid who says they want to play guitar, but you're not sure they're going to stick with it. One of those. But he was happy to play it. This is the dude who wrote a hit song for Carlos Santana. Remember Maria Maria? And here he is miraculously tuning this junky guitar, which he plays during this episode. This is Broken Records Season 3, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right, enjoy the episode. Guitar ain't even my first instrument. What's your first instrument? Bass. Upright bass. Upright bass. Yeah. What year was that when you first picked up the bass? Man, if I picked up the bass, picked up the bass early high school, but first time I played the bass, I was 14. 
14, I played the bass. First time I played, um, uh, first instrument ever was a trombone. You know, I started with the horn instrument because my dad, he played like a little bit of saxophone. So I was digging like some of the horn instruments in the beginning. What, and so you grew up in Haiti without your mom and dad to yeah, start. Yeah. So your parents were already in the States. Yeah, well, my dad, he um, he got a work visa to come preach in America because it was for Church of the Nazarene. And at the time, um, he was just like a brilliant minister. And they was like, yo, we're going to get you a visa and we're going to bring you to America so you can help bring more Caribbean people to the faith, you know what I'm saying? Right. Because you know sometimes, man, the church is like a basketball team. They just be recruiting, <laughs> you know what I mean? So they like NBA draft pick my daddy. And he came and he left me in Haiti at one years old. My mama was pregnant, my other bro. And, you know, it, it's the real immigrant story. He left in search of a a, a life. And at the time, you know, the immigration laws, bro, when your visa done ran out, bro, it was no joke. Really? Yeah. So you had to go back because if your visa runs out, you got to go back. At the time, my daddy visa run out. And he goes, look, man, if I go back to the island right now, I'll never get my kids up here. It'll never happen. So he was like, yo, <laughs> this must be a sign of God. And dude went underground just and do then, some church folks no nah, like when you move in underground it's like you move in immigrant like hardcore like those that understand at the time when you are illegal uh what used to happen was the factories had these deals like the knitting factories so my dad also was a tailor so you know at night they could bring like two, three hundred immigrants and they're having you do crazy like sweatshop work. You know what I'm saying wow. to you? Oh yeah, this was America, dog. This this was my daddy. And my daddy was working and he heard immigration. And my dad said, bro, he took off like a cheetah, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> so somehow he got my mama up here and I'm still in Haiti. Wow. And uh, he had a, they had a Brooklyn and they had a child. And um, so at the time, once again, with those immigration laws, you had a children in the United States. Um, now you could apply for citizenship. So, you know, that's why I'm, I'm like real sensitive when it comes to like uh, immigration policy, like mad sensitive, because it's like I could have fall like within the, depending on what generation, I could have been a DACA baby, you know, depends on right. the generation. So, um, so he had two kids in Brooklyn and they, they got, um, their citizenship. Cause once you had the kids in the state at the time, they automatically became Americans. Then they came to Haiti, man. I don't know if anybody, you ever seen that movie Slumdog Millionaire? Yeah. That's me and my little brother, bro. Like we, we up in the deep village, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Until you were about like nine too, right? Yeah. We lived in a village till we was nine, man. Um, dirt poor, like it's yo, by the time I got to the projects in Brooklyn, I didn't know what they was talking about when they was talking about they were poor. 
because I, I didn't get it. You know what I mean? Right. I'm like, yo. Um, so we, to, to, to go to the bathroom, we usually was called a ravine, you know, and the ravine is like, it ain't no bathroom. It's literally like you go something like they built in the back. Um, if anybody's seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire, literally that's what you're using the bathroom. Um, ain't no electricity. You feel me? Like, so you relying on candles or a lamp, you know what I'm saying? Wow. And then you have what's called the oil for the lamp. You know what I mean? Right. Like a kerosene lamp. That's right. That's right, bro. The oil. And we live right around. There was a big cemetery. So literally, we lived. Our playground, you know how, like, doozy, like, yo, we, you know, we in the hood. Let's go to the park. Yeah. Like, we'd be like, yo, let's go to the cemetery. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing in the cemetery, man? Playing. Wow. We were kids, man. That was a playground for us. Just some open space. To... Man, listen, bro, we was having a great time in the cemetery. We used to play this game. Um, the game was called I'm Going to America. So bring they bring the donkey around. And I get in on the donkey and all the kids crowd around. And, um, you know, it's mad Creole. You know what I'm saying? It in English, it's all Creole at the time. And they're like, yo, where you going? And I said, y'all know where I'm going? I'm going to America. And I said, okay, everybody tell me what y'all want, you know? And, you, you know, so, so it's like, yo, bring me back diamonds. Dude's like, bring me back food. Now, keep in mind, while this game is going on, we probably ain't eat for like three days. You feel me? Wow. Yeah. So, you know, imagination, man. People be like, yo, how did you escape poverty? I said, through imagination. So I'm like real sensitive when people be putting, uh, when NGOs put, they go to these villages and then they film, like, these kids. Like, you can see, like, they film Haitian kids, African kids. Or, and then they come back and they be like, yo, you know, we, um, you know, give us some money for these kids. And I was one of those poster boys. I didn't need no money from nobody. It was like, all I needed was an opportunity. So, like, the cry of the villages, the kids are crying for opportunity, not for anything else. Like, no one really demands a handout. That's really how we was brought up. So no matter how crazy it was, we still was happy. You know what I mean? I mean, when you consider that you came here, you were 9, 10. Yeah. And you get you become successful with the Fugees, like, not even that long, much later. So it's like, was I it? I wasn't even successful. Like, the real Wyclef story is even crazier. The Fugees is that, like, the very last chapter of the start of the Wyclef career, right? Because I came at nine, I was a hustler. By the time I'm 14 years old, barely 15 years old, I'm in the studio with Curtis Blow. <laughs> you was in the studio with Blow? <laughs> yeah, ask Curtis, Curtis Blow. Blow when you see him. I was barely 15. Curtis Blow was producing my first crew it was called exact change so this was like so for me and the way that that happened was through our school in jersey because we used to go back and forth brooklyn to jersey so in jersey they had a program where you can get an internship in the summertime and we had got an internship for cbs records you feel me so it's like you get that summer internship it was a program for urban communities and when I tell you, bro, I was rapping and my father never knew what I did. Like the word rap, a hip hop, 
in my daddy's home, Caribbean home, church home, bro, like late 80s, early 90s, this is like, dog, it's forbidden. So you have to understand, I'm living a double life. Like, you know what I mean? Like when, when you'd be seeing like them dudes, um, I'd be watching them old like tapes of like the Aretha's, right. uh, Otis and all of them. And then, so when you in the church, it's still the same thing. Like you got two circuits like so they'd be like yo you can't do that kind of music so literally you're sneaking to do it without the church knowing you feel right, me so right. that that's how that was my hip-hop and um and then in the church every sunday is, is you're pounding on church music so my dad though he was strict but we had a man um a manager teacher slash and that's what helped me get into that program and um and then she was like yo um we met curtis and i think from there he noticed like how I was in the studio as a kid because I just always would ask questions. Like, I'd be like, yo, how? why does the board move like that? Um, and then I see like, it's a Neve board with all them keys in it. And I'm like, yo, but my brain was like, yo, if you learn to operate one, you can operate all, you feel me? Right. So then, um, then I met Quincy Jones. This is all, dog, this is, we're not even talking Fuji's yet. That's what I'm saying. Like the so real you're a teenager story. and you're hanging with Quincy. I'm a t teenager. Look, Quincy Jones came to a play I did. It was an off-Broadway play. It was called The Twelfth Night. And we was trying to get, this is how crazy I was. So um, Twelfth Nights is Shakespeare. So you have these characters move, uh, Malvolio, Sebastian, the Duke, and all of that. So it was like, what happens if we take this play and we put it in an urban setting? So we took Shakespeare and we put it in an urban setting. I did the entire score for the play. And from the play, I, I, blew, I blew up. Uh, MC Light was in the play. Lisa Carson was in the play. Lauren Hill was in the play. Darren... Uh, Madeline, what's Darren's last name? The big choreographer, huh? Darren, Darren Hansen. You know Darren. He was a crazy choreographer. Then he went on to choreograph for In Sync. So everybody was blowing up, man. Was from loaded. this, yeah. But as kids, like it was just like, you know, it was like a super talent. So for me, you know, going from there and loving the culture, I was a big fan of Rakim, right? Of course. So. Now, now I'm like 17. My man come in, he say, yo, um, Rakim is shooting a video in Long Island. And I was like, yo, come on, let's go. We're going to get in the video. I ain't never meet no Rakim. I just was like a stan. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yo, I'm a fan. I got to get there. So I'll, I'll never forget. And my man was like, what's the treatment? I was like, I don't care what the treatment is. We getting in the music video. So we took the train from Jersey. I took my upright bass, a big ass upright bass dog on, on the train. My man took his drums, dog, and we get there, bro. And they got the big bodyguards at the door. You know, it's like the big movie scene. You know what I mean? And yeah. we from the hood. And dude's like, can I help y'all? And I'm like, what you mean, can, can you help us? We the band, we here for the video. And he says, go set up by the pool. So now we set up by the pool. I set up my upright. My man set up his drum and I'm wink. I'm like, yo, just go with this till the guard get here. So now Rakim is late. So the director starts to bring all the girls out and he got to do these shots. 
So Rakim and them ain't there yet. So guess he's who he starts to shoot? Us. So now if you go online and you watch Eric B and Rakim, Don't Sweat the Technique, I'm the kid with the upright bass, man. You're in the Don't Sweat the Technique video. Yes, the kid with the upright bass. That's what I'm telling you. That's crazy. So it's like, that's why I was saying, like, you know, before we talk about Fuji's, I, I always want kids to understand, like, the grind to even get to, because it's almost like you can see the glamour and the lights, but it's like for a dude, a kid to come from Haiti, and, you know, we barely talking about 17, 18. So, so I, I always tell extras when I go on the videos, and I'm like, yo, don't sleep. Like, yo, do the bet. Like, don't think you're an extra. And I even was showing the extras, like, how you could steal a shot from the the celebrities, you know, because I did it all in that Rakim video. Like, you'll see, I'll be like, yo, this is how you steal a shot. You know? <laughs> it's one-on-one for it's a one -on -one, yeah. <laughs> For extras. So this was the culture. And then now I'm uh, 18 going on 19. I always remember this because this was the day that there was freeing Nelson Mandela. Wow. Right? And what's crazy about this story I'm giving, like I'm giving you, it's sort of like when people, this will help people understand like why they love the score so much. Like when they hear why so much like heart into it. So Mandela was getting out of prison. This is the day Mandela and I'm in Jersey. And my man said, yo, there's a label in, in New York called Easy Street. Big Beat Records, you know, and they have an instrumental and they looking for somebody to to write some music to it and do some vocals. And, you know, it's paying like, I think like $250. So I was like, yo, I'm in, you know, that's like a pair of Pumas, the whole outfit, bro. So, and you could get the brush to clean off your Puma, somebody step on it. So, so I go and... I'm so excited because I know the story of Nelson Mandela. So I'm inspired that day. It's house music. And so my first record that I ever recorded was Big Beat Records, Atlantic. And the record's called Out of the Jungle. Now, when you go back to, to listen to this, it's a funny story with it. So I'm vibing these lyrics, man, because... And everything I'm saying, I'm feeling it because I'm so excited about Mandela out of prison. And I'm so excited. After I do the vocals, I just, I, t I, t I take the money. I don't sign the form or nothing. I leave. I'm gone, bro. <laughs> so when I'm gone, this record comes out, my man. And it's called Out of the Jungle. So when you listen to it, so it was a time when hip-hop and house music was on the same level because we all was going to the club and we literally was dancing to both because it was a big dance culture. So it was like you either were, you was breaking the hip-hop and at the same time, house music was like the gully, you know, it was like the gully underground sound, but it was like forbidden also. Right. Um, and it was a little deeper than hip-hop because house, your parents don't want you to get involved with house because... You know, the house is a little deeper. Now you're getting, you know, that's when the acid starts. To, it's a drug different drug. You are, the, yeah, because right. with the hip-hop, you know, you with the weed, everything's safe. You feel what I'm <laughs> right. saying at the time? Yeah, you right. dip into the house. They're like, yo. Um, so the record comes out, and it explodes in the underground. It's called Out of the Jungle. 
can now, you pull it? Can you pull it up? Do you have? Do you have? I want uh, to. You could pull it. You could pull it up, and I'm gonna tell you what's gonna bug you out. So years later, man, a DJ I know called DJ Flex, not not Flex from Hot 97, not, not. my other man Flex who plays EDM, he goes, "Yo, man, did you have a twin?" in the 90s, and I'm going to tell you why you can't find the record yet, and I'm going to tell you how you're going to find it, and you're going to die laughing. He goes, yo, did you have a twin in the 90s? And I said, no. He said, yo, dog, I be spinning this record. This dude sound just like you, but he not you. His name is Africali, right? I'm like, what? He said, nah, this dude sound, he probably from Africa somewhere, but this dude sound just like you. So, if you go online and you punch up Africali out of the jungle, so I left the studio, dudes didn't know my name, and they're like, yo, this motherfucker sound African, so let's give him a name. Motherfuckers just called me Africali. They just they just, yo, made... they just gave me a name. Dudes just turned around <laughs> and traded me like a slave, bro. It was like, yo, this is your name. So, <laughs> so yo... Can you imagine, like, years later when I blow up and I see those same people and I'm like, they're like, well, why Clef? I'm like, no, Africali. <laughs> if you check the sleeve on Paradise Presents Africali's Out of the Jungle, you'll actually see Dedicated to the Freedom of Mandela. We'll be back with more from Wyclef after the break. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, 
wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. We're back with more from Wyclef. After the Afrikali incident, he finally connects with Praz and Lauren Hill to form the Fugees. So Praz hit me up and Praz... And you know Praz from... Praz is like... Uh, we call, I used to, you know, like you in the hood and you, you make friends with, with, so prize, I had a church band and remember I told you in the church and prize wanted to come and, and, uh, be part of our church band. So he came and it was like, what do you do? He said he played trumpet and he pulled the trumpet out and started playing, um, was making us laugh. So I was like, yo, so we connected. So, but prize always had a hustle too. He always had a hustle. So Prize was serious. So Prize hit me up and was like, yo, I'm in the studio with two girls and I need a reggae hook. That's what he told me. So, you know, I'm like, what is Prize up to now? Right. So, <laughs> so I go to the studio and the producers, man, are Khalees Bayan from Cool and the Gang. He's like the mastermind behind Cool and the Gang. So everything we hear, that celebrate good time, all that stuff, he the one who did that. So I was just amazed to be in the studio. So I went and then I did my little vocals. And um, so, you know, I was on my, um, one of my favorite movies was The Five Heartbeats. Yeah, classic. Classic. So I was on my Eddie Kane shit, minus the drugs. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) still played the poker and everything, right? So, you know, I see the pretty girls. You know, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to smash this jazz. <laughs> so I did my part and I came out and um and the girls was like, Did you Yo. write and you wrote the part? Like, yeah, of course. Like, yeah. I, I, I improvised. What uh, was it? Do you remember what it was? Um, There was a record called The Enforcer, The Enforcer, the worst Fuji record ever. <laughs> but it was like, yeah. So we, we go and then, so... Khalees Bayon was like, yo, do y'all hear that? I was like, no. He said, yo, there's something going on with the four of y'all. It was four people. It wasn't three. It was Lauren and another girl named Marcy. And Marcy sounded like Mariah Carey. And then Lauren had the Nina Simone vibe. Right. So um, it was four people. And the sonics and the way the vocals were sounding, this dude was like, yo, this sounds like a group. And so Khalees and his mind, who has created Cool in the Gang, what you think we're going to tell this guy? No, I mean, he knows exactly what it is. He got Grammys. He's sitting on it. So he brought us in to start recording. And then we started recording what became Blunted on Reality. Wow. Not even the score yet. So while we was so recording. But dude, dude from Cool in the Gang. Was the Fuji's first producer. Insane. The real producer wow. of the Fuji's. The first real producer of the Fuji's was Khalees Bayon from Cool in the Gang. The ma- one of the like mastermind behind Cool in the Gang, Jungle Boogie, all of that. He was one of my senseis. Winter Sadness, Summer Madness, all that. Yeah, some yo, Summer Madness. Summer that's madness. his whole brain. Wow, that's his brain. So you understand? Now he takes me in as an understudent because I'm always asking questions. You feel me? So 
he's so this is this was the birth of the Fuji's. So we struggling. So the girl Marcy parent says, "Look, this this group thing ain't gonna work for you. You have to go to school. Like you have a chance to go to college. You gotta go." And then she leaves the group, and then she goes head to college. I think in Boston. And then us three, we stayed. We rehearsed every day, and we didn't just like rehearse. Like it was like we was clear. Like we wanted to be a band. Not a group like a, we wasn't trying to just have mics and then turn. No, we wanted to come out with the guitar. We had the drums, the bass, the whole, put a band together. So every day we would rehearse. But where did that come from? Because that is like, who else was doing it? Maybe the, the Roots were probably maybe doing it. Well, keep it. in mind, my background was from the church. So as a maestro, already I had the idea of saying, you know, I played. So I was like, yo, there's no way we're not going to play. So we have to be a band. But, like, how does it even, like, because, like, Stetsasonic, the root, but, I mean, like, it's not, like, a real thing to be, like, I'm going to do, it's but where we came from, band, like, Yeah, you know? but it was a natural thing for us. Wow. Like, we're not thinking. It's almost like every record today a kid sings. Yeah. Right? Right. And it's natural to him. Like, he ain't thinking. He don't even know. Like, ask these, you know, these young little rappers today. Like, you'd be like, yo, they are singing naturally, right? Right. But then you would have a young thug who has a song called Why Clef Jean. Now, when you talk to him, you'd be like, yeah, that's my guy. Like, Why Clef, he'd be singing. He'd be, to them, that's just natural. But it's natural because you guys, like, did it. You yeah, know but, what I mean? but like, you I, what I'm was... telling you is when we was doing it in our brain, it was just like the way the kids are doing it today. So we wasn't thinking, like, Somebody can't tell me, oh, if you sing, going to November, you know, or or Lauren sing Killing Me Softly, oh, y'all, now we more gangster than you. You understand? Like, yo, like, we gangster than you because we are going to say on the record that we going to pop you and then we going to pull a certain gun out on you and then we going to put the crack valves in our hands. We going to know. But then... Now, let's check the facts. I'm from Marlboro Projects in Brooklyn in the late 80s. You ever looked up that project? It's one of the worst projects in the world. So for me, when I look at authors, it was just natural to us. I was like, yo, we all are going to tell this story. But what made the Fuji's unique was you had three perspectives, right? So you had like Lauren that was on that Nina Simone you know, that Donnie Hathaway thing. Like, she clearly was on that and was on some, like, uh, black power vibes. Like, like some, you know, she would study all this stuff like Pac, like Tupac. Lauren would study, like, she had a clear understanding. If you want to understand the depth of black history with the Fugees, all you have to do is go to the first album, Blunted on Reality, and play the first song. It ain't a song. It's a poem to the Klux Klan. So this is the depth of the kind of core that you're dealing with. So you had that. Then you had Prize, you know, who who literally, Prize would be listening to anything that was rock, Prize knew it. So if it was Guns N' Roses, if it was Metallica, if it was, you know. So Prize was moving like a punk rock kid. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, and he had the ear like that. Then you had... Why Clef? You know what I mean? A kid from the village, you know what I'm right. saying to you? That that somehow became a weird jazz musician. So you put this kind of fusion thing together and it just exploded into so 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 to your point, 
it was natural. Like it was like when people was like, yo, I remember, man, driving my car, you know, and then this was like New Jersey drive style. So going back and where where we we're racing to a Biggie Smalls concert. Why could we open it up for Biggie? Right. So and then so we playing with Biggie. We in L.A. I remember we being in L.A. and the show Ice Cube. Everybody is there. My Concepcion, everyone you could think of is there. We get on. What well, it's real. It's love because we come from that space. And then keep in mind, so I wasn't even really listening to East Coast music, even though I was in the East Coast. Now, that's another weird thing about the Fuji. I was listening to hieroglyphics. Like Dell. Yeah, that was more, wow. you know. So even when you hear the Fuji's the way they rhyme, the whole style just sounded different it was so it was a combination of all of that that was going on so for us hip-hop wasn't just what caught your ear about that versus like even like like de la or tribe which are kind of or jungle brothers they were more melodic mm. i could relate to them like they was doing like what i was doing like they were doing it like you could hear they go from a rhyming to a melody, you know what I'm saying to you? And then what was my man that flipped? There I go, there I go, there, there I, I go. go. It was a hip-hop kid who did that too. He was from out here. I, I got to think. But um, and then you had Souls of Mischief, you know, all yeah. of that. Like so, and then the production, I found it fascinating because it was a lot of jazz samples going on. You know what I mean? Right. So so once again, that that's the 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 core. When you from that kind of core. You know, because you got two kinds of people. You got the the public who, a kid who's from the hood, from really from the ghetto, from the projects, when he here ready or not, you think like he's, he already knows the code. When I say now that I escape, sleep, walk, awake, those that, that he knows that's equivalent to a Biggie Smalls record. He know which Biggie record. He know the talk, you know? So at the end of the day, we was ignoring what everyone was saying because critics were trashing us, right? Uh, um, Remember? You blunted on reality? Blunted on reality. Even like the respect we should have got when we did the score. It was like we was blowing up and it was crazy big. The score got respect, but the respect that it should have got, it got afterwards. It seems like though, but it got more respect weirdly from like the kind of like white sort of like the Rolling Stones or like the Village Voice like or like you know what I mean like those type of one trillion quadrillion percent that's right right but like the source like was you know it's like yet yeah, the the once again I came from Haiti so I didn't I didn't when I saw Bob Marley that's the manager <laughs> the manager's phone is ringing when I saw Bob, manager need a manager. <laughs> manager needs a manager. Yo, when I saw Bob Marley, I saw Rolling Stones. I saw whoa, whoa, the you... Beatles. I'm saying like on oh, VCR right, right. tape. I saw Michael Jackson. I saw the Temptations. I saw the Fugees. Like I, I was like, we're gonna be big. Right. So at the end of the day, I knew that a lot of those editors at the time they would not get what we was doing at the time, but it wasn't really for them, right? Because now. We're 30 years in, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine when I'm chilling and a 19-year-old kid comes up to me and he's reciting every lyric from the score, the carnival, to eclectic, 
even all the way to Sweetest Girl. He's telling you how he found these records. Yeah. It just makes you understand all you got to do is keep going. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, scores. I mean, that, I mean, you must hear it all the time. The scores, like, for, for, for a lot of people, I mean, that was, that's some of the first music outside of, like, you know, I probably, like, maybe Summertime, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Jazzy Jeff. Yeah. The Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff or something like that. But, I mean, I feel like, like the score is, like, the first music that I'm really cognizant of in my life. Like, it was, yeah. like, just on repeat in my mom's car. Like, just, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like, all those hits, man, all those jams. And it feels like every record on there could have been a hit. There really was only, like, four or five singles but it feels like every when you listen now, yeah. like yo, every we one couldn't of even these put is, them uh, out. We couldn't even put singles out no more. Cause label is like, man, like y'all could literally put a single out for each one of these songs. You right. know what I mean? But I want to back up a little bit. I mean, so what were you playing at the time? Like you, so you play like you. You say you go nowhere without a guitar. Like you, I just saw you tune like the worst guitar. <laughs> you probably, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. you probably played it in a while. Yeah. Um, like what was it you were listening to before you got with the Fujis that you? felt like you could kind of merge with what Prize and Lauren were doing. Like, can you- Well, I came up, I mean, my brother, we was in the hood. They was listening to like Pink Floyd, uh, Sting, Synchronicity, The Police, uh, Michael Hedges. That was my little brothers. Like one of my brothers was into that. So he would give me the music. And now I would share the music back with him, you know. Um, I was listening to, like, Thelonious Monk, like Miles Davis, or Blakey, the way the drummer would roll. And then I would give him some of that music, you know what I'm saying? In the 80s, that's what you're listening to. Yeah, all that. And then, um, and then, uh, and of course, hip-hop, we all, my other brother, literally we would sneak because we had to hit the cassette and let it run, you see what I'm saying? And then get the tape and then listen back to that like the next day. So the ill thing is like, if you know the Red Alert show, someone's taping it because you can't listen into it at the house and then you leave, man, you throw on your headphones, you hit that Sony Walkman, bro, and it was heaven. So for me, um, very eclectic at a young age, I loved Bach. And they always used to say I was weird because I, I would watch uh, movies um, so like I'm a movie buff, you know, my dad like would have VCR and different things, but they would see me watching films silently. And then so like Once Upon a Time in America, classic, and like before the Godfather, original, and then I would watch it but silent with no mute, no voice or whatever. It's like, yo, what, what you doing? And I'm like, yo, I could hear the score. I could hear the music that's supposed to be on this. So... Then when I go back and watch it, I put it on and match it with to see if what's in my head. You feel what I'm saying to you? You would test yourself kind of like, did I Yeah, get yeah. This? And then it was crazy because years later, um, the first person who gave me my shot at scoring a movie is Brian Grazier. Big, big pr- um, producer. Like he did like some of the biggest movies ever in Hollywood. Uh, but he was like... They was like, yo, did this kid ever score anything? He said, no, but he's going to score this one. And... And you know what the movie was? Life. Eddie Murphy and Martin oh, Lawrence. Rough. Yeah, I did the score for that. Amazing. Yeah. That was your first movie? That was my first score. Dang. Then from there, I did Hotel Rwanda, um, the theme song for that. So people started saying, yo, this this cat. So the scoring is another life for me. Like I love I love that kind of stuff. That I I guess that's that discipline from like the jazz and the classical right. background. You know what I mean? So like, but what were you like what? Like what were you playing on guitar at the time that you felt like you could turn into like I don't know if you could, could if you could play something like what like what's an example of like a riff that you were playing that you would hear that you'd be like I could hear this being like I could I could turn this into something with the Fugees. 
So anyone who's listening, the way that I play the guitar is a very unorthodox style. I consider myself a hip-hop guitarist because when I play, you literally can hear the fusion of the drum inside your head and at the same time. But what made me crazy was I was a battle rapper. And it used to throw people off because I would play instruments. So they would underestimate bars because they would see the guitar in my hand. We'll be back with more from Wyclef after the break. Every week at Broken Record, we meet with legends of the industry to uncover the meaning behind the music, the strategy and history that separate the good from the truly great. That's what Mark Chaikin does, but for the U.S. stock market. Mark is a creative legend in his own right. He worked on Wall Street for 50 years, invented three new indices for the NASDAQ, and has predicted some of the biggest market shifts of the past decade, including the recent mania in AI stocks. Now Mark says we're seeing a similar shakeup in the financial markets. He's calling this a new dawn for the U.S. stock market and predicts dozens of specific stocks will soar in the next 90 days. He put everything you need to know in a new presentation specifically designed for people off Wall Street. You can watch Mark's presentation for free at NewStockTrend.com right now. Again, the link to watch is NewStockTrend.com. That's NewStockTrend.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest.
We're back with more Wyclef. What were you listening to like in Haiti? In Haiti, you know, we have the music of the village, you know what I mean? Like you come up, I guess I, that's why I learned how to, you know, like you see how I pick up an instrument and just the acoustic, you know, you singing with the village, the ladies, you know, they got their hair tied down, they dressed in white, they're praying, sometimes they're dressed in red. You know, they're worshiping and they singing these songs, bro. It's these hymns. It's like, it's very spiritual and um, very, very, like, uh, put you in trans vibe, makes you feel a certain way. And um, I guess the same vibe I heard them singing when I was like seven or eight years later when I went to Lagos in Africa, same vibe, man. It's like just the music of the village, man. Were you getting like funk records from the States or like R&B records? Nothing. nothing. I never heard no R&B, no nothing. The person who put me up on like R&B, like, like say, yo, you ever heard Nina Simone? I was like, no, that was Lauren. She's like, check this out. You know, then I heard Nina Simone. You ever heard Four Tops? No. What's that? You know what I mean? Like, I, I haven't heard of that. I was more like into like, uh, Thelonious Monk, like Miles Davis, and that side of it. You know what I'm saying to you? Um, but she put me up on that. In Haiti, it was like just listening to folk, like um, we call it Racine, roots music, Africana. You know what I mean? The core, like till today, like when I hear that, I could run through a brick wall and won't get hurt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and were you playing along to that stuff too as a kid? Singing. Singing along. Yeah, you're yeah. singing along and you're doing like these crazy harmonies along with it. You know what I mean? You're treating the, it's more like really using the voice as an instrument. You were learning Your voice how to play. is an instrument, but your voice is a warrior. Like, you know what I'm saying to you? So in my village, you know, if you come in, we can announce you. You know how Pavarotti pro projects, you know what I'm saying to you? So you, you could be a mile away and I'm like, like, you are going to hear me. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like the call of the wild. Like, it's really, yo, these Africans is coming for real. Like, <laughs> so, so all of that kind of stuff is real. You know what I'm saying? All of that is instilled in me. You know what I'm saying? Right. You just put out a record in 2017. It was the first time in like eight years you've done something, nine yeah. years. Yeah. And um, did you come, did you, did you put something out again? Because you started feeling like maybe things are finally caught up to what I was doing. Well, I, I, after I did Hipstone Live for Shakira, I mean, that broke every record possible to mankind. Um, so 100 million records worth of work. And once again, I, I, one, here, here we go. My brain is just different. I was like, I'm not going to leave this earth and knowing that I got this opportunity through the gods. And then in the next lifetime, they're going to be like, yo, what did you really do with it? Uh, yeah, yeah, man, you know, y'all got me out this village, you know, and I done, you know, helped everybody out. Y'all never heard of Beyonce? Yeah, I gave her first. Hey, yeah, you heard of Whitney Houston? I did. They look at me like, dog, really, what did you do with your life? So at the end of the day, I went back to my land, man. I went back to Haiti and I ran because I wanted to become president of my country. So um, there, I have a very uh, militant side about me, and it's the realest side. 
when it comes to Wyclef. Um, like Bar Marley, it's real for me. So um, if anybody go online, I mean, you could see from assassination plot to on down, it's real where I come from. But the idea of a guy saying, you know, I'm going to go back to my country, um, you could see like, when you leave in the space of music and the politics, how vicious it gets, you know what I'm saying? You, you go from being loved overnight to you, they just turn you into a menace. You know, if you notice, they just pardoned Marcus Garvey, you know what I'm saying, to you after they done set up and framed up so many of us, you know? So I felt like I was a patsy caught up in a bigger situation in Haiti where real people was trying to steal billions and billions of dollars. And now when you look back at it, where did all that money really go to? So at the end of the day, I ran for president because I wanted to change all that. Um, they took me out the race. I made my man become the president. And then after that, I left the country and I went to Sweden and I was spending time with Avicii. And and, and me and Avicii, people like, yo, why'd you go to Sweden? I'm like, yo, that's just one of them places I just feel good at. And um, and then I chilled and I was just getting my mind back because the music had changed. It went from hardware to software. So I liked the record Wake Me Up and I liked what Tim was doing. So I went and spent some time. And when I got back, there was a small label called Heads Music, an all-female label. That's the CEO right there, Madeline Nelson. I loved what they was doing with artist development because it looked like they wasn't chasing the check, right? Because as a producer, think as a football coach, right? Like you could be a great coach, but when the players are in rhythm, that's a different kind of game. So every great coach with rings, for them to get excited, you have to get these players with rhythm. So when I saw what Heads was doing, and then, she, you know, they came, she came and was like, yo, Clef, um, we want you to partner up with our label and we want you to do the same thing you did for Lauren, for Beyonce, for all of them. But we have a slew of kids that range from 18 to like 25, 26. I was like, yo, bring them in. And these kids just gave me that energy. And of course it's natural. Quincy Jones ain't do Michael Jackson until he was 54. I'm 49. So all I could do is tell you that I'm just getting started. So when I came back, the first record I did, right, coming back was a record called Hendrix. Love that record, man. I, it was a tribute to Hendrix. And then I wanted to tell Ooh, my... Was that, was that a big influence? Like, yeah, on Jimi Hendrix was a big influence. Like, Hey Joe and all of that um, coming up. So the record, when I said, yo, when my cousin got his first tech, I was playing Jimi Hendrix in the basement. So I wanted to reintroduce myself, right, to now a kid that was 19 that is in that frequency. And um, and then it's so crazy because that record literally reinvented me to, like, the kids' kids, you know? And to them, they was like, yo, then they went back and listened to Gone to November. What was he talking about and all of that? So... um. Once again, I don't do music just because I want to do music. I don't know what that is. I got to feel it. So I felt it and I got the bug back. So with this new project that I'm putting out, the new epiphanies that I have. Wyclef goes back to school. Wyclef goes back right. to school. So when you hear volume one, like um, the first record we had put out was Baba, 
And in Baba, the, there's a poet that comes at the end. He goes to NYU. And I, I put this right after I did my DNA test. Um, Hold on. We should say, though, real quick. I mean, because... Uh -huh. So Wyclef goes back to school. <laughs> so when you put out the last record, Car the Carnival 3 uh -huh. in 2017, you went around to different schools to talk to, to in a, re I guess, as you're saying, reintroduce yourself to young folks, yeah, college-age yeah. kids, to yes. young artists. And 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 you started collaborating with some of these kids, collaborating with them, and, and you made a record with, like, a, I don't know how many different kids, but there's, like, what, 15 tracks on the? Yeah, yeah. The tour was going great success, but I was like, yo, we need to go into the schools I want to do like this battle of the bands, but with no, no reality show, no TV, no just let's do it with the music programs. And let me just see the kids like when I was in college and I was in the dorm and formed a little band and came out. I was like, this is where the magic's going to come. So I was just looking for the talent. And from there, as a producer now, what I'm doing is now when you listen to Why Clef Goes Back to School, you might, everybody you hear on there, you're going to be like, is this a, a no, nah, that ain't Adele. Ooh, who is it? You see what I'm saying? You are literally going to be, you're going to be like, yo, is this most dead? No, nah, that ain't most deaf. Who, you know, it's, and then you're going to have these moments all the time. And those are the moments that as a producer that I love best. Now let's go to the score. 70% of the people on the score blew up from the score. Nobody knew who they were. The Outsiders, Akon was on the score. Omega, it goes on and on. So while Clef goes back to school, I'm bringing you my curation of the future. So at the end of the day, I want when people listen to this, if you remember who Erica Badu was, here's a 20-year-old. She's 20 years old. But... She sounds like Erica Badu. She ain't trying to be Erica Badu, but she was influenced by Erica Badu the same way they say I sound like Barb Marley. I ain't never meet Barb Marley, but I was influenced by Barb Marley. And how did it work with most of the kids? Was it like you wrote a track that they kind of added to? Did they write the track? I mean, or was it was it like a true collaboration? You sit down and try yeah, to come up with ideas. Yeah, it was 100%. I did it the same way I produced everyone else. Mary J, Whitney, I didn't approach it different. So I have a vision, I have a song, and let's Co talk about it. Chords or something. You have chords. And yeah, a... I have chords, I have a beat, I have a... Um, so we could take one song. Okay, let's do a song called Faded Butterfly. The topic's Faded Butterfly. Get the guitar, catch a vibe. So Faded Butterfly is just she ODs, you know what I'm saying? So how are we going to write the perspective of she just had too much of the lean and she had to go, you know what I mean? And then so what does the party night feel like that night in college, you know? Um, so <laughs> I ain't going to write that verse. She, He or she knows what they want to say. It's them. You see what I'm saying? Now, I'm going to paint this this Sonics picture around it to make you want to play over and over again. So for me, um, I come up with the vibes, but it's so ill. The most interesting thing about why Clef goes back to school is if I do a beat, I put a hook and I say, send back 16 bars. Yo, man, the stuff the kids are saying, bro, it's almost like a completely new language. 
But are you writing it the same way as you would before? I mean, are are you So the 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 whole idea with this, I wanted to be like electronic software driven against the acoustic. So what I did was I was experimenting with a lot of software. A lot of software plugins do that. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because I wanted it to be about the Wyclef goes back to school. This is what I've learned. Each track, you can see what I've learned and where we're taking it, you know? And then with each student, you know? Um, but the the guitar record, though, you know it's coming. <laughs> do you want to try to play some of, some of it? Like just a... I always say, man, so... So if anybody didn't get the... Um, so while Clef goes back to school... I would just show up at the school and I, I catch a vibe with the kids, you know what I'm saying to you? Donald Trump, he won the competition. Hillary Clinton, she put up a competition. I was smoking weed with Bernie Sanders. He should have won the competition. Y'all should have voted for me, yeah. I vote for me, yeah. Why clef for president? Oh, I word to Dave Chappelle. If I was president, I'll get elected on Friday. Assassinated on Saturday. Buried on Sunday. Then on Monday, everybody goes back to work. Yeah, like nothing happened. It's just an ordinary day But I could be the president And you could be the president And she could be the president If I was president If I was the president Yeah A man say he gonna build a wall Have Mexico pay for it all I called up my Mexican friends They said, why Clef, we ain't gonna pay for shit there's a riot every week, and the people on the street, everyone is living on the edge. You could be the next. If I was president, I'll get elected on Friday, assassinated on Saturday, buried on Sunday. Then on Monday, everybody goes back to work. Yeah. Like nothing happened. It's just an ordinary day. Vote for me, yeah. I vote for me, yeah. Why clef for president? So what I'm excited about is that I could just be clef. You know what I'm saying to you? And I could absorb a lot of that material. It's almost like when you open arms, you get so much material. So in the next three to four years, I know exactly where I'm going. And it's like the true reinvention, I learned this from Michael Jackson, is not about you reinventing yourself. You can't, when people be like, yo, they reinvented themselves. No, no. The generation has to reinvent you. And in order for them to reinvent you, they have to feel you. And they got to just feel like you coming, like, raw. Like, I, this is who I am. Like, I'm not trying to be you. Accept me for who I am. You know what I mean? So that's the kind of love. That's why I'm excited, man. 
Thanks to Wycliffe Jean for coming through Broken Record. We really appreciate it, man. He has a lot going on, including an animated series based on his childhood in Haiti coming to Netflix soon. Follow him on Twitter at Wycliffe to stay up to date. And you can check out some of his music that we put together in a playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. And while you're there, sign up for a behind-the-scenes newsletter. Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell and Mia Lobel. Our theme music is by Kenny Beats. Stay tuned for next week's episode with Rex Orange County. Record a vibe, man. You sure y'all recorded this? I just felt like I was having a conversation with my cousin or something. Every week at Broken Record, we meet with legends of the industry to uncover the meaning behind the music the strategy and history that separate the good from the truly great. That's what Mark Chaikin does, but for the U.S. stock market. Mark is a creative legend in his own right. He worked on Wall Street for 50 years, invented three new indices for the NASDAQ, and has predicted some of the biggest market shifts of the past decade, including the recent mania in AI stocks. Now, Mark says, we're seeing a similar shakeup in the financial markets. He's calling this a new dawn for the U.S. stock market and predicts dozens of specific stocks will soar in the next 90 days. He put everything you need to know in a new presentation specifically designed for people off Wall Street. You can watch Mark's presentation for free at NewStockTrend.com right now. Again, the link to watch is NewStockTrend.com. That's NewStockTrend.com. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.